Welcome to the Popey Podcast You Didn't Know You Needed, where we talk history through Pope-colored glasses and some of the craziest, most popular stories you've never heard of. It's a real joy for us to welcome you all here. I would like to invite each of you to listen. Do not be afraid. P.A. Domine, Dona e this is a popular popular podcast. Do not be afraid. Welcome to the Popular History Podcast. History through Pope Colored Glasses. My name is Greg, and this is episode 0.21c, Sayings of the Savior, Part 3, Parable by Parable. All of these ot episodes are made to let us build our Pope Colored Glasses so we can use the same lenses when we look at history together in the main show. If you're lost, start at the beginning. Today, June 16th, is the Solemnity of the Most Sacred Heart of Jesus, often colloquially called the Feast of the Sacred Heart. This episode continues our reflection on the third luminous mystery of the Rosary, namely the Proclamation of the Kingdom, which, for our purposes, means we're taking a look at the sayings of Jesus and we're going a bit further along in our investigation of Jesus' words as we focus on the parables of Jesus present in the Gospel of Matthew. Two quick notes. First, we won't be talking about all the parables present in the Gospel of Matthew, not only because what counts as a parable is a surprisingly contested issue to the extent that listings vary widely, which we're mitigating today, by using not one but two listings given in the show notes, but also because we've already covered some of the parables found in Matthew in previous episodes, namely the lamp on a stand, the speck and the log, and also the wise and the foolish builders, all of which were covered last episode since they're parts of the Sermon on the Mount. Second, we won't only be discussing Matthew today, as a lot of the parables discussed also appear in Mark and Luke, since the synoptics be like that. So in this episode, we'll also be covering any versions those other synoptics might have of Matthew's parables. After Matthew sets the scene, the first two parables come hand in hand, as their imagery is largely the same. We'll start with Matthew's version, but my friends, we won't stop there, because after an episode's hiatus, we're starting off on the right foot, with a synoptic roundup. Gospel of Matthew. Then John's disciples came and asked him, How is it that we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom mourn while he is with them? The time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. Then they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch will pull away from the garment, making the tear worse. Neither do people pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the skins will burst, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. The Greg says... So, yes... Here we see the parable of new cloth on an old garment, and also the parable of new wine in an old wineskin. 
You might also reasonably expect me to mention the parable of the morning guests, but that doesn't get listed as a parable because, well, reasons. I don't know, just roll with it. Let's see how Mark puts these. Gospel of Mark. Now, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. The Greg says... It's similar, including the build-up and the setting. But it's not exactly the same. How about Luke? Gospel of Luke. They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the friends of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a piece out of a new cloth to patch an old one. Otherwise, they will have torn the new garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants the new. For they say, the old is better. The Greg says... Again, that old familiar setup, again phrased slightly differently all around. Such is the nature of the synoptics. Our next parable is one that our primary list of parables skipped over, but the secondary list says it's a parable, so we might as well cover it here. From Matthew 12, we have the parable of the divided kingdom. Gospel of Matthew. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this fellow drives out demons. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and every city or household divided against itself will not stand. If Satan drives out Satan, he is divided against himself. How then can his kingdom stand? And if I drive out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your people drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or again, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and carry off his possessions unless he first ties up the strong man? Then he can plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. The Greg says... Well, that's intense. 
I feel like we touched on that one in our Miracles Roundup, and uh, yeah, there's likely to be some overlap here and there as we go, just part of the nature of things. Anyways, our third parable for today is definitely a top 10 parable, and it marks the beginning of an absolute onslaught of parables found in Matthew 13. Fully a third of the parables I want to discuss with you all today show up in that chapter, and that's not even counting a bit that I definitely say is also a parable, even though it doesn't make either of our reference lists. Don't worry, I'm going to throw it in here anyways. Nothing Jesus says is going to get short shrift in this podcast. Paul, perhaps, but not Jesus. Right. So, the top ten parable I mentioned is extra momentous because we've got our second of five synoptic roundups for today on our hands with the parable of the sower. We're actually going to break this one up into three parts. First, the parable. Then, a relevant interlude that's present in all three versions, and then the convenient explanation of the parable. Ready? First we need the sounder. Synoptic Roundup! Gospel of Matthew. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered, because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Gospel of Mark Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake while all the people were along the shore at the water's edge. He taught them many things by parables, and in his teaching said, Listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places, where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly, because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so that they did not bear grain. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times. Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Gospel of Luke. While a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. It was trampled on, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. 
other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Now, I know I could probably get into some theological analysis here. The part that I want to call out that was especially interesting to me in terms of the differences was that in the Gospel of Matthew, we have that a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown, which is the opposite of the way you'd normally order such things. And we do see the regular sort of a growing foldness in the Gospel of Mark, where it says, some multiplying thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times. And then Luke takes a third route and just says, a hundred times more than was sown. So three different approaches to that same line, one from each of the synoptics. It's just interesting to see the parallels, and I'm sure people can spend careers analyzing just those parallel verses, for example. Anyways, uh, next, in all versions, we have the disciples asking Jesus why he uses parables and Jesus responding in a way that would help foster Gnosticism down the road, but which for now is probably best interpreted along the same lines as Jesus silencing folks immediately after healing them. It just wasn't time for his message to sink in yet. Or, if you're a, a cynical skeptic, you might say, the Gospel writers are conspiring to hide a general lack of success in Jesus' ministry by saying he didn't mean to be understood. Now, of course, I'm not a cynical skeptic, so I will take the first of those options. But now you have them both, and feel free to write in with your own theories. Enough stalling. Let's do another Synoptic Roundup! Gospel of Matthew The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, you will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people longed to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Gospel of Mark Then Jesus said, Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. When he was alone, the twelve and the others around him asked him about the parables. He told them, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so that they may be ever seeing, but never perceiving, and ever hearing, 
but never understanding. Otherwise, they might turn and be forgiven. Gospel of Luke His disciples asked him what this parable meant. He said, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of God has been given to you, but to others I speak in parables, so that, though seeing, they may not see, though hearing, they may not understand. The Greg says, Note that in all three versions, though the parable was told publicly, the exchange about the reason for speaking in parables was given privately, as was, apparently in line with the idea of hiding the meaning, as was the explanation. So, public parable, but private explanation. Though I don't think this one is too hard to guess at, even without Jesus walking you through the explanation. Then again, maybe that's just the familiarity of this one talking. Like I mentioned, it's one of the more famous ones. In any event, the passages with the explanations give us one more synoptic roundup. Gospel of Matthew. Listen, then, to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Gospel of Mark Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand this parable? How then will you understand any parable? The farmer sows the word. Some people are like seed along the path where the word is sown. As soon as they hear it, Satan comes and takes away the word that was sown in them. Others, like seed sown on rocky places, hear the word and at once receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Still others, like seed sown among thorns, hear the word, but the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the word, making it unfruitful. Others, like seed sown on good soil, hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, some thirty, some sixty, some a hundred times what was sown. Gospel of Luke This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in the time of testing they fall away. The seed that fell among thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, 
they are choked by life's worries, riches, and pleasures, and they do not mature. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart, who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. The Greg says... So that's the sower, then. Kind of. You see, our next parable seems to be connected to it, as the analogy is similar, and in Matthew it comes immediately after the sower. I say, in Matthew, like it's not in the other Gospels as well, but, uh, well, actually, nope, not this time. Matthew is actually your only source for the wheat and the tares. And I should say, tares is an old-timey word for weeds, so our translation will say weeds. Well, let's hear it already. Gospel of Matthew. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, First collect the weeds, and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat, and bring it into my barn. The Greg says, There's a pretty standard Christian interpretation of this parable. The enemy mentioned is Satan, the weeds are folks who have been led astray, and the wheat are the good, the righteous, those who are bound for heaven. And that's for good reason. Much like the sower, this parable is explained later in the chapter. Quote, Gospel of Matthew. Then he left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. The Greg says... Now, the idea of the weeds being those destined for hell is unsettling to a quasi-sorta universalist like me, not because I think hell is impossible, but because I know I'm plenty deserving of it myself. So, I lean towards my quasi-universalism as a coping mechanism. If Christ is only going to save a few, 
I don't see how I make his list with my resume, especially knowing the many good folks I'm competing against if there really are only a few spots. So I do hope it's the more generous angle, and I plan on taking full advantage of the measure by which I measure being measured out to me. I don't condemn anyone, lest I be condemned. Fair? No. But we sinners don't need fair. We sinners need hope. Okay, that tangent was a bit heavy. How about a lighter one? Is there imagery more subtly comical in the Bible than the idea of someone planting a field, seeing weeds pop up in it, and insisting that the only possible cause is, quote, an enemy did this, end quote? I love it. I mean, I have a garden. Like, they're weeds. It's okay. Anyways, we should move on. Next, God compares the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed. And he does this in all three... Synoptic Roundup! Gospel of Matthew. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet, when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants, and becomes a tree, so that the birds come and perch in its branches. Gospel of Mark Again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants, with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Gospel of Luke Then Jesus asked, What is the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it to? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his garden. It grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in its branches. The Greg says... Now, perhaps oddly, this parable isn't the only time we've seen a mustard seed appearing in one of Jesus' analogies. In one of the miracle accounts, we saw Jesus talking about how faith the size of a mustard seed could move mountains, a verse which is actually on the whole probably better known than this parable. Oh, and in case you're wondering, no, modern biology doesn't agree with Jesus' assessment of the size of seeds and trees, but it's not like he was publishing a research paper here. He was simply making an analogy. In Matthew and Luke, the analogies continue. And actually, Mark says they continue as well, though he stops specifically describing them, so we'll leave him alone for now. In case you don't know, and I only barely know this, so sorry if I botched the explanation here, but in case you don't know, yeast is what makes bread rise. Anyways, Gospel of Matthew. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. Gospel of Luke. Again he asked, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked all through the dough. The Greg says, The next few parables are Matthew exclusives. 
skip over the explanation of the parable of the weeds if you're following along at home. We're still very busy here in chapter 13, now in verse 44. Gospel of Matthew. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had, and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. The Greg says, The second of these similar paragraphs seems to be the more famous by a fair stretch, especially when translated as the pearl of great price. How much that has to do with the phrase being co-opted by the Mormons is not clear to me, but I'm sure that doesn't hurt in terms of exposure, at least not here in the U.S. Now, it seems, much like we saw with the miracles, my theory is that you just can't hold Simon Peter's attention for long without working fish into your analogy. So, Jesus presumably obliges him with the following parable. Gospel of Matthew Once again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was let down into the lake and caught all kinds of fish. When it was full, the fishermen pulled it up on the shore. Then they sat down and collected the good fish in baskets, but threw the bad away. This is how it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come, and separate the wicked from the righteous, and throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Greg says, You might have noticed that what would become known as the Last Judgment is a popular theme for Jesus' parables, and that adds up when you consider that the afterlife was only vaguely discussed in Judaism before Jesus' death, but is much clearer, though still mysterious in many ways, within Christianity. Now, that was the last parable listed in my list for Matthew chapter 13, so after a span, we made it through, right? Well, not quite. There's one more parable in that chapter, at least by my own reckoning. After relating all those parables we just went over, we have the following exchange, capped off with what I will argue is one last little parable. Gospel of Matthew Have you understood all these things? Jesus asked. Yes, they replied. He said to them, Therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom new treasures as well as old. The Greg says, I hereby christen that the parable of the treasures new and old, or the parable about parables. Okay, now that wraps up the slew of parables found in Matthew 13, but it's certainly not the last of our overall parables from Matthew. Yes, we are still going. Jesus spoke a lot, my friends. The next parable isn't included in our primary list, but remember, we have our secondary list. And apparently, as we just saw, I can even make up my own list if I decide to, though I'm unlikely to catch any stragglers that aren't uh, glaringly obvious like that last one. Anyways, chapter 15 has what our primary list ignores 
and our secondary list calls The Parable of the Heart of Man. Gospel of Matthew Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into someone's mouth does not defile them, but what comes out of their mouth, that is what defiles them. Then the disciples came to him and asked, Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Leave them. They are blind guides. If the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. Peter said, Explain the parable to us. Are you still so dull? Jesus asked them. Don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart, and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person, but eating with unwashed hands does not defile them. The Greg says, This passage, right down to the surprisingly abrasive Jesus, has a parallel in Mark, though it's generally absent from Luke's telling. Gospel of Mark. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? he asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. The Greg says, We've got another heavy hitter coming up next, certainly somewhere among the top five parables. Present in both Matthew and Luke, we have the parable of the lost sheep. Gospel of Matthew. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. Gospel of Luke Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, 
for I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. The Greg says, Later in that same chapter, we have a less cheery note as we look at the other end of things in the parable of the unforgiving servant. Gospel of Matthew. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him ten thousand bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children, and all that he had, be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, Be patient with me, and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured, until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you, unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The Greg says, First, let's just admire the sheer scale of the servant's debt here. Ten thousand bags of gold. It's not a debt he's going to be able to realistically pay back regardless of how much patience the master had. No, debt cancellation, going beyond strict justice, was his only hope. And here we see again the notion that the measure by which you measure is what will be measured out to you. Worth remembering if you find yourself eager to condemn. Up next, it's The Workers in the Vineyard, another one found only in Matthew. Gospel of Matthew. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon, and about three in the afternoon, and did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When the evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers 
and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came, and each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work in the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. The Greg says... The standard interpretation here is that the pay represents the heavenly reward of the followers of Jesus, whether converts or disciples from birth, which isn't explicitly stated, but considering Jesus opens with, the kingdom of heaven is like, that all seems to check out. I don't know if you noticed, but the kingdom of heaven is like a lot of things. Gospel of Matthew. What do you think? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But he later changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what his father wanted? The first, they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. The Greg says, I love this parable, mainly because my dad used to cite it when I would end up doing something one of my brothers had agreed to do. And now we'll see which of my family members actively listen to the show. Fortunately, I've got two brothers, so there's still room for polite familial ambiguity. The next parable is, well, dark and ominous. Gospel of Matthew. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. Then he sent other servants to them, more than the first time, and the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. 
Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants, who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The Greg says... Okay, so 400-odd years before this, the Greek philosopher Socrates was executed on trumped-up charges. During his trial, he was so abrasive to those taking him to court and to the system in general that more people voted that he should be punished with death than had actually voted that he was guilty. I think of this as Jesus' Socrates moment in that regard. He knows where this is going. He's been making predictions about it along the way. He's not going to beg the authorities to go easy on him. He's simply going to carry on as he had, calling them out and challenging them as he sees fit. This parable, The Wicked Tenants, also known as The Absent Landlord, isn't present just in Matthew. Here's Gospel of Mark. A man planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a pit for the wine press, and built a watchtower. Then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants to collect from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. But they seized him, beat him, and sent him away empty-handed. Then he sent another servant to them. They struck this man on the head and treated him shamefully. He sent still another, and that one they killed. He sent many others. Some of them they beat, others they killed. He had one left to send, a son whom he loved. He sent him last of all, saying, They will respect my son. But the tenants said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they took him and killed him, and threw him out of the vineyard. What then will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and kill those tenants, and give the vineyard to others. Haven't you read this passage of scripture? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Greg says, The bit of scripture Jesus is citing here is from Psalm 118, or maybe 117. I honestly forget which numbering system I'd said we'd use here. If anyone wants to go back and consult episode 0.4 and let me know, I'll update this eventually, maybe. And I've got to say, the landlord deciding to send his son in after a ton of other folks, by the way, they're definitely the prophets in this analogy, get horribly maimed and or killed, just keeps sounding like a bad idea, no matter how many times I hear this one. It's like watching a horror movie and 
yelling at the characters for their choices because you know how that genre works. There is one more telling of this parable for us to take a look at because that's right, it's a late notice synoptic roundup. Gospel of Luke. A man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers, and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him and threw him out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and kill those tenants, and give the vineyard to others. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Jesus looked directly at them and asked, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. The Greg says, Now, surely Jesus wouldn't tell two parables where a person in authority sends his servants to their doom, would he? Oh, he absolutely would, though the bad folks' motivation in this one is not apparent, which may itself be part of the point. Gospel of Matthew Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent more servants and said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized the servants, mistreated them, and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, the bad as well as the good, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? The man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants, Tie him hand and foot, and throw him outside, into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are invited, but few are chosen. 
The Greg says, In my experience, the most memorable part of this parable is the perhaps unexpected wedding clothes bit. Just when it seems the parable is wrapping up, with the questionably motivated murderers getting their punishment and random replacements getting in on their place, one of the randos is identified as not being suitably prepared himself, and so is punished, which complicates the story and historically has been used to illustrate that those who have been called to sit at the table, that is, those called to follow Christ, still have to conduct themselves in a certain way. Being Christian isn't carte blanche for sin, at least not according to the fairly standard interpretation of this parable. The wedding garment imagery from this parable is also often used as a proxy for baptismal garments. Our next parable is actually our last synoptic roundup for this episode, so let's hear that air horn again. Synoptic Roundup! Gospel of Matthew. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see all these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The Greg says... This one needs some context. First, as you might recall from our Miracles episodes, yes, Jesus cursed a fig tree earlier in Matthew, and in Mark as well. Second, the discussion right before this is about signs of the end times, giving Jesus' comment that, quote, this generation will certainly not pass away until all of these things have happened, end quote, a fair amount of oomph. This weird parable and its context are a large part of why early Christians fully expected the world to end in their lifetimes. And really, one way or another, as I've said before and will say again, you will see the end of the world, at least your world, in your lifetime. Right at the end of it. Are you ready? Mark and Luke are quite similar here, so let's just listen to them back to back. Gospel of Mark. Now learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Gospel of Luke He told them this parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The Greg says, As weird as it is to have this particular combination of words come out of my mouth, all of this fig stuff 
transitions us into a number of parables about the end of the world. Starting with the parable of the thief, found in Matthew and Luke. Gospel of Matthew. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. The Greg says... Luke's account introduces another character in a related parable called the Faithful Servant. I want to mainly focus on the thief for the moment, since the second coming, a.k.a. Jesus' return at the end of the world, being like a thief in the night is a common image, one you should know. But sure, if you want to read ahead, take note of the faithful servant. Gospel of Luke. Be dressed, ready for service, and keep your lamps burning, like servants waiting for their master to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will dress himself to serve, will have them recline at the table, and will come and wait on them. It will be good for those servants whose master finds them ready, even if he comes in the middle of the night or toward daybreak. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. You also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. The Greg says, The thief in the night is, in effect, ultimately a side character in the story of the faithful and the wicked servant. Now that we've considered the thief, let's look at... Wait, did I, did I mention a wicked servant? I thought there was a faithful servant. Where did this wicked guy come from? Well, let's see if we can make sense of it with the account from Matthew. Gospel of Matthew. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked, and says to himself, My master is staying away a long time. And he then begins to beat his fellow servants, and eat, and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces, and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Greg says... Ah, so it's a what-if scenario. Luke asks about the faithful and the wicked servant in similar but slightly different terms. Quote, Gospel of Luke. The Lord answered, Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the servant says to himself, 
my master is taking a long time in coming. And he then begins to beat the other servants, both men and women, and to eat and drink and get drunk. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. The servant who knows the master's will and does not get ready, or does not do what the master wants, will be beaten with many blows. But the one who does not know and does things deserving punishment will be beaten with few blows. From everyone who has been given much, much will be demanded. And from the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. The Greg says, that all wrapped up Matthew 24 for us, and believe it or not, Matthew 25 is the last chapter in Matthew's Gospel with any parables, or at least apparently with any parables worth mentioning in our lists. Yet, it is jam-packed, so brace yourself and just feel the sheer acceptance of the fact that this episode is comfortably well over an hour long. That's just something that needs to happen to avoid sayings of the Savior becoming a 33-part series within a 33-part series. Anyways, I'd say every one of the three parables within Matthew 25 is famous in its own right, which is kind of a side effect of being something Jesus said. The first of the three is the parable of the virgins, which is unique to Matthew. Gospel of Matthew at that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps, but did not take any oil with them. The wise ones, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom. Come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied. There may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. The Greg says, Be ready. The parable is straightforward, and the explanation is right there. I am superfluous here, except as someone to note that the next parable, the parable of the talents, appears in both Matthew and Luke. It's a longer one, and there's some nuance here. And I nearly forgot that I should mention that a talent is referring to a fairly valuable coin. This parable, of course, coming from a long-lost time when coins had value. Gospel of Matthew Again, it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants, and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, 
he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you have entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, and went out, and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, You wicked, lazy servant, so you knew that I harvest where I have not sown, and gathered where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him, and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside, into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The Greg says, The version of this parable from Luke is obviously related. In the end, I would describe it as a, a grittier version. Amina, like a talent, is a fairly high-value sort of coin, as I understand it. Gospel of Luke. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable, because he was near Jerusalem, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was about to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king, and then to return. So he called ten of his servants, and gave them ten minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him, and sent a delegation after him to say, We don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money, in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied. Because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter, 
take charge of ten cities. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you, because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in, and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in, and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit, so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his mina away from him, and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine, who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. The Greg says, Sometimes, in Jesus' parables, the first will be last. Sometimes, the rich get richer. Generally, the apparent contradictions are a sign that you should look deeper. In the end, the church teaches us God will judge us, and God will judge justly. The fundamental lesson here is that we shouldn't just sit around. We've got a responsibility to act. Our final parable today is perhaps the most iconic of all the parables about the future, the sheep and the goats. This one is a Matthew exclusive. Gospel of Matthew. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people from one another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right, and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did, for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. 
I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or thirsty, or a stranger, or needing clothes, or sick, or in prison, and did not help you? He will reply, Truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. The Greg says, We will cover the rest of Jesus' parables next Saturday for the Feast of John the Baptist. If it wasn't in Matthew, it's going to be an Ot.21d, d Sayings of the Savior, Part 4. The Kingdom of Heaven is like a lot of things. Thank you all for listening. Happy uh, 10th anniversary to my lovely wife. Thank you for bearing with me. Um, God bless you all. <laughs>